Most often, the brightest smiles come from those who've struggled the most. What's behind your smile? Let's open up and talk about what's really going on behind the smile. And sometimes it's okay to fake it until we make it. I'm Bonnie Woodrick. Join me to gain insight on how many of us hide behind the smile to get through painful and difficult times. My podcast is a safe place where others can share their stories and discuss how opening up rather than hiding behind a smile allows for growth and happiness. His love of sports began at a young age, intensified when he started officiating football with his path eventually leading to the NFL and not one, but two Super Bowls. That may sound impressive, yet his greatest passion is his family, a conviction instilled in him by his late father, Carl Paganelli, known as the godfather of officiating. Family always comes first. Happy to have Dino Paganelli, a blast from my past, in the studio to chat about everything from his first officiating moment to his latest aspirations and adventures. So Dino Paganelli is in the house, and we're live, and it's so great to actually see people in person. So welcome to Behind the Smile podcast. I'm really grateful to have you here. Well, thank you for inviting me, and I look forward to our discussion. Yeah, I do too, because there's so many things that I want to catch up with, because when I think back to meeting you for the first time and hanging out hanging out with you a little bit, and when I was doing the math, that was like 30 years ago. I know. And it seems like yesterday in some cases, too. Can you, I know, right? It's it fun. Re- it really does. We had some good times. So let's go back. We have so much to catch up between sure. those. How many years is that? A lot. Yeah. <laughs> like eight, but 20, It's about 20. 30 years, yeah. 30, 30 years. I, I've taught over 20 now, and I had a little transition there before uh, getting into education. So, yeah. Yeah. But what I read was that you started officiating as a senior in high school? I did. Uh, my first little kids game, rocket game, was out in Lowell. I remember it uh, like yesterday. It was with my best friend, and we were paired up with a veteran, and uh, we went out there, and the Lowell playground out there where they had the rodeos and stuff, and um, it was fun. I still remember it today. It was a great experience. I love thinking about, like, the Lowell fairgrounds and all of that. So, So your late father is known as the godfather yeah. of officiating. Right. So obviously that he had a huge impact on your decision probably and your influence to officiate. Tell us a little bit about your dad and that experience. Yeah, you know, dad was a patriarch of the family, you know. There's three uh, Paganellis that officiate in the NFL, and we're the only three-brother combo uh, in any professional sports. There's a lot of two, but not three. But my dad also was a mentor and teacher to so many officials. I think when we look back at the NFL staff and really the big college programs, too, he mentored so many officials and had touched so many in regards to. But he always kept it as family, which was important. Still today is lessons we learn. It's still football. It's still big time, but it's still family first. Mm. And very centered. Yeah. I love that. In fact, I was going to talk about that later, but since you bring it up, I'm going to talk about it sure. now. One of the things that I hear often from from you and the things that I have read or the articles that I've read, you always bring up family. Yeah, that's the cornerstone. I mean, that is what my parents both instilled in us, and it's really important and close to my heart yeah. to keep that balance. You've been officiating for 34 years. When did your dad start 
Yeah. My dad was a local. Um, he did basketball. He did football. He was known for football, but he did do basketball, small college as well. And then he just worked his way through um, Division Two and Division Three. His route was a little different than uh, us three sons. He never officiated in the Big Ten or the Mid-American Conference of the NFL. He had some exposure to what was all called with the USFL, which was what was I worked in the NFL Europe kind of program that worked with projected officials that would be coming in the NFL. But then he took a more supervisor and training role, which is he found the love of doing, teaching the art officiating. He taught you most of everything that you... Oh, for sure. Yeah, I remember the first uh, opportunity, he wanted me to officiate a JV game at Byron Center. It was a South Christian JV game. And I really didn't want to officiate. I was like, you know, I was playing college baseball. This is like, you know, I'm going to do my own thing. I was young, you know, my own thoughts. And I remember my mother said, you know, it means a lot to him just to give it a chance. And I said, okay, I'll give it one chance. And so I went downstairs, went through his closet. I put the extra large shirt on. Um, I didn't have any shoes. I put these baggy pants on, white knickers they were called. And I got to the game site, and all I had was my white baseball cleats. And that wasn't the part. And I remember getting out of my car and my dad looking at me and seeing my older brother and a very best friend of the family just start laughing. And I'm thinking, they'd be so great to see me. Like, they're privileged. I'm here. And my dad said a few choice words I won't repeat. And that was my dad, old school. And he told me that I wasn't officiating if I was wearing those cleats to go home and get a pair of black shoes or dye them and then come back. And... I could have easily not. I went home, put on the size 12, and I was a size 9, and oh went out and officiated the second half, and uh, then I you know, took off from there. So you really kind of fell in love with it that day. I, yeah, I did, and uh, I understood the discipline and the meaning of what my dad was trying to convey my first few years about it meant so much to the kids. And even when we did little kids game, rocket games, uh, you always would say, take it serious, those kids. You know, those kids, those parents, those coaches put in a lot of time and have fun, but take it serious. And I think that's the only time I ever saw my dad get upset if he felt we were not respecting the game in regards to the officiating standpoint. So you, you're in high school, you go, you're in Lowell, you then have some officiating opportunities, but you go to college. So you, you went to Aquinas College and you didn't go to college thinking that you were going to be like an NFL no, I think I went to community college for two years, played baseball, and then I went on to Aquinas College for two years. And, and then those four years, I had the opportunity to do freshman and JV football, and that's where a lot of our younger officials start, and that is the proper transition. And then uh, I started doing some Friday nights, um, I think, uh, when I was about 21 years old. And, you know, that was big experience doing a Rockford-Granville game. Mm-hmm. I remember those games, you know, and uh, East Grand Rapids games and Christian games. Those are all just great memories. I miss those Friday night memories, mm-hmm. the Super Bowls, the playoffs, the, the bowl games. It's still Friday night is so pure, and I miss that, and I enjoy going to games just for that feel and those officials. So I'm kind of jealous on Friday night to see those officiate yeah. work those games. And then it was, um, I did small college, Division on my AA for a few years, mixed in with a Division II league, the GLIAC, and got a chance and um, entered into the Mid-American Conference, which was a Division I conference at 27 years old, and that was my first big break. 
okay, so let's go a little bit before 27 sure. years old. So like when I knew you, because mm-hmm. I think that for those that know you or the people that are in the Paganelli family, mm-hmm. many of your fans, because you probably have fans and you probably have followers <laughs> of, of you doing what you do. Many people probably don't know that you at one point in your life carried a gun for a profession. I did. Yes. So tell us about that experience (laughs) and how you got into that. Well, I was going to school to become a teacher. And at that time, I kind of maybe lost the interest of was that direction I really wanted to go as teaching coach. And I did an internship with the U.S. Marshals and looked at becoming uh, testing for to become a federal agent. And at that time, the hiring process was long and slow. But I also did some training with the U.S. Marshals Service, and an opportunity came up with the Amway Corporation to work with their executive security. And um, had an opportunity to interview for that. They were looking for a new direction, somebody that had some corporate experience because I was a loss prevention manager and trainer for a company for a number of years in a supervisor role, as well as had some U.S. training uh, with weapon and and some security aspects. And uh, I was a qualified applicant that they felt that they wanted to go a different direction. And uh, I was fortunate to have opportunity to work for the Amway Corporation about three and a half years, which were a great experience at my age, for mm-hmm. sure. I grew up quick. Well, that's what I, I know, because I'm thinking about, like, you did a lot, yes. short amount of time to get, I mean, a federal agent. What was right. that well, all I was about? A, I was kind of a contract basis, so I wasn't, like, employed by them, but I helped them. I did the internship and then stayed on for a little bit, and uh, just basically basic services for uh the Federal Marshal Service. It was nothing elaborate that you'd see on TV. Mm-hmm. It was mostly, you know, basic. Uh, it wasn't anything glorified, I'd say that. It wasn't like carrying a weapon and, and doing those type of things. Uh, yeah. But it was more on the down low per se. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that kind of uh, gave me some experience, though, at least a little bit with law enforcement. Well, that was pretty cool to experience that. And I remember you being in that role and us having some pretty good times and traveled to some different places that, and I think for me, I'm always so appreciative of people that knew Rob. And I know that you knew Rob and it always, I feel like, like you said, like sometimes it doesn't seem like 30 years. It seems like yesterday because that connection is there. And I love that connection with you because you were connected. Yeah, you and Rob are one of my faves. Yeah, I took well, care you, of you guys. You sure did take care of. I mean, there are times when you and I—I I mean, I, I specifically remember you and I sitting like on a on a um, bench, and you're just shaking your head, and I'm just shaking my head, and you're going, "There's nothing I can do." I mean, yeah, that was in Nantucket. I yeah, mean, it was. It was yeah, Nantucket. It right. was Nantucket, and it it was it was so much fun. And I actually—it's funny how I can't remember some things that I did yesterday, mm-hmm. but I remember being told that you were leaving and that you were going to go officiate and I was just like oh yeah okay what I didn't know what that meant you know and now I look at all these years later I'm so proud of you and how far you've come and to choose teaching as your profession besides officiating does that go hand in hand with many of you yeah it does Uh, a lot of um, a lot of the officials are teachers administrators that have been in education um, it's changing somewhat now, but I would say 10, 10 20 years ago, that was the majority of us. Uh, in the NFL, we get a wide variety. We have doctors, lawyers, that teachers, you know, businessmen and women. 
So it's a quite a bit of array, but more so, I think, when I was coming up through the ranks of a lot of teachers. And you got to have some flexibility. And, I, you know, it came to a point where the Amway Corporation and the people that I was a protectee were awesome in regards to giving me that flexibility to continue to grow mm-hmm. as a person. But it became more of travel for me and my responsibilities. And it was a really delicate balance. And, and you know, it was a job that was demanding of travel and I uh, was recently married, and I uh, wanted to refocus on our marriage and um, stay with family is number one. Yeah. I know. I think that says a lot. And again, that says a lot about you and, and the passion of family that your dad has you know, passed down mm-hmm. to you. So when I look at that, what does it take to be – And because I feel like, okay, I was this, I was this, I was this. What education does it take for you to be an official? Well, there's no like degree. Uh, it's experience based. Okay. Yeah, and I, you know, the, uh, I think the NFL uh, recommendation is five years of Division One officiating, um, uh, but I, I had that plenty going into it. But it is basically gaining your experience and, and reps that we call. And they need more reps. That's more games, mm-hmm. more plays, and. You know, with the four years in the Mid-American Conference, and it was um, probably eight to ten years in the Big Ten, and then uh, transitioned into the NFL and just completed my 16th year, it's somewhat of a blur sometimes. Yeah. Well, I can't imagine because it's like how many officials make it to the NFL? Because that's like the big place to be. It's a tough get. You know, we have 120-some officials. it's challenging. It's, you know, it's tougher to stay at times as well. You know, when I was coming up, we did arena football, which is another side uh, officiating gig. And then you had NFL Europe that I was gone for four or five years um, while I was doing college officiating as I was being considered for as an applicant to the NFL. And that program no longer exists, which is a really disadvantage because our new officials coming in don't have those reps that we were given uh, with the NFL rules philosophy, and they're trying to learn those on, on the given day on Sunday, and that's tough. So we were fortunate, our age group that came in are our applicants. But it's um, it's a very competitive field, and it is tough to stay as well. I'm sure it is because what does your day look like? If you have to travel on Thursdays and Sundays, and it could right. be to two different locations, how do you work that with your school? Obviously, yeah. is very flexible. School's outstanding. Yeah. I, I, there's no way that I could have been uh, as successful or have, uh, to really pursue the officiating career without making some changes. The Wyoming Public Schools wasn't uh, very favorable and, and fair and equitable with me. I'm very fortunate. And they're a great school district. Uh, I love our students. I love our district. And so I've been fortunate. And um, so, but it's also, you know, trying to balance with family. It's a, it's a grind. It's mm-hmm. a, the season, although this was different last year with COVID, with training camp and spring and uh, preseason, Sometimes I'll roll 19 of 21 weekends in a row, and that's tough. Oh, wow. Because you actually train with the players, correct? We do go to training camp with them. We didn't last year. Like, everything else has changed, and we'll spend one to two weeks with the players. And it's a really great opportunity because everybody's got their guard down, and we talk with coaches. They're approachable. We're more approachable. It's a good learning opportunity, why they're doing things, why are we calling things. I think the NFL instilled that years ago, and it's it's something they uh, would like to continue to keep. So, tough gig getting into the NFL, mm-hmm. and it's very right. limited. So it's, it has to be even tougher to 
officiate the Super Bowl? It's a lot of pressure. And you've had two. <laughs> I have so had two. I would say that that's a, a testament to you and your skill. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, you know, you got to be fortunate, and the ball's got to bounce your way, and, you know, things got to go your way. It's, you know, and it, when it's time, your time, it's your time. And um, in both cases, uh, I've had really outstanding years and bounced back from some adversity and some challenges in my life mm-hmm. in both of those, and and uh, I felt really good about those. Yeah. With being um, in this Super Bowl 55. 55. Yeah. Okay, Super Bowl 55. I whisper, I kind of mouth 54 because <laughs> I, I couldn't remember. That's but 5-5, five, five, double uh, nickels, good year. So how was it different with COVID right. and the the first, you know, I'm sure the first was, did you do like a 30 something? No, what? It was 47 was my first okay, one. Okay, so f- I'm, I'm going back to 34 years, but okay, so... What was the difference between those two? Like the nerves that you had with the first one, were they different with yeah. the second one? No, you know, the the nerves wasn't so much there. And I say this not in an arrogant perspective, though. I remember my dad teaching me a long time ago, maybe my first MAC championship game, and I may have said something. He said, you know, if you're nervous, you're not prepared. And I've always kept that in light through the bowl games that I've done, to the Super Bowls or playoff games. You're excited, but you have to control your emotions. And that's a big part of those big games is not getting caught up in the hype and checking yourself. When I look back at Super Bowl 47, uh, I lost my late, uh, late wife a year and a half earlier. So that was uh, was really family-driven. Mm-hmm. It was something that um, I wanted to share with her before she passed, mm-hmm. and, and she didn't. I mm-hmm. I was an alternate at one of the Super Bowls prior to her passing, but you know, although I did my job as an alternate, was still accomplishing that on the field. Mm-hmm. And because without her raising the kids and me being gone, there's no way she was my champion. Mm-hmm. There's no way mm-hmm. I could have been successful in any of this yet today without her foundation. And um, and I owe that to her. And that Super Bowl was really a stamp for her, for all her help over the years. Mm. Yeah. I just love that so much. And that's one thing that I wanted to talk to you too about today was, was your late, late wife. Um, Because it's another thing that we have in common Mm -hmm. is that, you know, I'm a widow, you're a widower. Right. And life changes. And when, when, when I just so appreciate hearing about your wife in that solid that she gave you and and the kids because that definitely sets the tone for for who who they are as well and i think that's why i do what i do because rob can continue and he can continue to guide me and bring me to the right people in my life and and hopefully saying the right things to people when they have those adverse situations too so tell us a little bit about um your wife, because I know she right. was a softball player. Sure. I know. I mean, I remember being you being that newlywed. Right. Sure. <laughs> you know, Christy was an amazing woman. Of course, she was my best friend. She was the strength of the family. She really was. And she was a career-oriented. She was a chemist and major at uh, Amway Corporation. Mm-hmm. She has still patents today, I believe. And so wow. she was, you know, very successful. And I, she was my hero. You know, and I look back and in the leadership she provided in the house and why I was going and when we were there and and for the children, you know, mm-hmm. and Brady is my oldest. He's 21. Jake's 20. They were 10 and 12. And then Caitlin was three and a half when mom passed. 
you know, so those foundations were there for the boys. And Caitlin, it's a little tougher, you know, it's more family and more storytelling, you know, but I see them, I see her in them every day. And uh, they're tough cookies. And that was what she was. She really gave me inspiration. If I came home from a bad game, she would give me a few minutes, but it's like, hey, we got kid stuff, you know, yeah. get it right. And, you know, she taught me those, taught me what was, helped me with that, make some clarity with some veterans too. I had some stories that some cleared some things up when I was young about, you know, what's important, let alone outside my family. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, like, I just am smiling, listening to you, you know, talk about her. And I think mainly because I see the impact that she has had, even because how many years has it been since she's passed? It's been 10, yes, yeah, coming up on 10 years. 10 or, years. It was past 10 years, a couple of weeks ago Tuesday, yeah. yeah. And I don't know if the, the video is going to work or not, if we'll have it, but if, if people could see your facial expression, like change when you do talk about it, sure. it just like warms my heart. I mean, that yeah. love is still there. And I think that's one thing that I always say, love never dies. In right. fact, if anything, I think as I continue on my journey, I feel like it goes stronger. Because it's very, very difficult in in the time that we're in and when you don't have your parent of your children to find that passion that your partner had with your children and somebody sure. else. It's just so difficult. Yes, so it is. I can so relate to that smile in your face and I'm smiling, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. So I'm just so glad that um, your kids had that foundation and that's another thing that we had in common because I know your boys, mine were ten and fifteen my, my girl, well mm-hmm. Chase and then Whitney, ten and five or ten, fifteen and thirteen mm-hmm. and Maddie was five. So I definitely can relate to your daughter and being three and a half with mine being five years old, she has no memory of her mm-hmm. dad. But the ironic thing is, is she's most like him. Is she? It's kind of weird, you know? Yeah. So, like, how does this happen? You know, so so much is instilled in an eight in us. So, right. so your, your boys, and I probably wouldn't have asked this if you didn't, if I didn't see Sarah, the first female mm-hmm. official. Sure. At the Super Bowl, yeah. your boys following your footsteps and even your daughter. Right, yeah. Could be following your footsteps. She could be, yeah. The boys are following it. Um, we'll see where Caitlin's interests are. Yeah, Sarah. Sarah's a great friend. She's uh, did an outstanding job. I'm really proud of her. And she, she had a lot of pressure, not only the Super Bowl, but there's a lot of pressure there on her. And she really handled it well. Yeah, I thought so too. But I want to ask you, you know, more get, getting back to, you know, being a single parent. Sure. What has been the most difficult thing for you? I think handling the day-to-day, you know, it's um, the loss early on and trying to manage and move forward in your life. It was still with this enormous responsibility with three children and realizing you can't, it's you got to be real. I mean, you can hold your gloves up every day, but it's okay to be sad in front of them as well and and not to fake that. You know, you got to fake it a lot to fake it to make it. We've all heard of that. But, you know, I I was so fortunate that uh, for my brothers, my parents, uh, Christy's parents and, and extended family that not only officiating but just moving forward in life. I know when um, 
we were traveling for those 18 months looking for that magic cure to MD Anderson and out, mm-hmm. uh, out east to Penn for melanoma, it was my brothers and particularly my Perry moved in and cared for my children along with the in-laws and, and um, why I still continue to officiate. And she really wanted me to continue to officiate because it was for me a release to get away for 48 hours mm-hmm. or 24 hours. And the league was great. They kept me close. But, uh, you know, when she passed, it was trying to reorganize our life forward. And um, like yourself, although mine, I didn't want to give uh, give up, but I knew logically that was really tough. And um, cause I felt that we were slipping. And, and trying to live with, you know, your husband, you're supposed to protect your wife. Mm-hmm. And I struggled with that for a long time, Bonnie. It was like, I knew in my heart that's what I felt, but I know in my brain that's like, I know you tried everything, but it took a long time, and I struggled with that with my own self is that I, did I let my kids down? Did I, you know, did I let her down? And that was, that was hard because mm-hmm. I, we fought our ass off. We fought yeah. hard. That's okay. You can say that. <laughs> you know, I mean, your transparency is, right. is so raw, and I, yeah. I love that because it is hard, and there's so many people that – that don't get it, you know, mm-hmm. that just think that, you know, oh, just move, you'll, you need to move on or you'll get right. it or, or time heals. Sure. Time will heal. Well, it doesn't. Right. It, it doesn't, doesn't at all. And I think that I hope that you've you've made it now 10 years that you know that even though you were the husband that wanted to protect his mm-hmm. wife, there's only so much that that we can do. And I think that was one of the things that really helped me with Rob's passing. Even though it was a surprise, I knew his struggles. Mm-hmm. And we did have to to work, you know, and we did have to, to search for medication and to search for doctors. But when you someone dies by suicide, it's all about the act. But I didn't have any regrets, right? And I, right. I think, like, if you can not have any regrets for you were there with Christy, you tried your best, you right. traveled 18 months with her, that's all we can do. Right. And we can't feel bad about that. In fact, that made me happy because I knew I gave it my all. Sure. And it it sounds like that's what you did. It did. It it took some time to work through that and some some tough nights and some dark places that we've all been. Yeah. You know, to be very transparent. It was hard. Yeah. You know? It is is really hard because you, you know, it's – and I hate to use the word burden, mm-hmm. but we do feel all of that on us. Like, right. how are we going to do this? How are we going to raise our kids? How am I going to be the dad? Or how are you going to be the mom, too, of all of these situations right. that we get put in? And then plus, you want to have your life. Right. You know, there's another side that you have to live and you have to True. laugh. And you don't want to feel guilty about doing so. Correct. Yeah, that was a challenge. Yeah. For sure. I think that one of the other things that we talked about before about being widowed, widowed parents, are they're much different than being single parents, right? Yes. Because <laughs> being a single parent, you know, they still get, you know, Wednesdays off and every other weekend free. It always burned me when I hear guys would say, hey, I got to, I, I don't want to have to, I can't go because I got to watch my kids. Like, it's a burden. It's like, wait a minute, dude, I got them 24 yes, 7. I and know. I'm not complaining. I know. You know? I know. It, it, that would uh, really get me too. But it, but it is really hard. And I think that, um, you know, we, we show how much strength we have, right? Mm-hmm. But we also, what I did, and I think this is what we talked about, is I found myself compensating 
in other ways for my kids. Like I was like, oh, you want that? Like I would buy them whatever they wanted. Right. I would let them, oh, you want to have 10 kids sleep over? <laughs> yes, you can have 10 sure. kids. And then you get exhausted. And yeah. then you're like, I'm so tired and exhausted. What are they doing? Where are they at? You know, you right. kind of lose track of them. Yeah. Did you experience that too? I did. And they would probably say, no, I didn't give yeah. them enough. But uh, <laughs> yeah. that's them. You know, I found myself now, I realized, I realized it years ago too is I probably enabled them more than anything you know it's like here can we do some chores you know and it's like trying to do it now it's like what <laughs> you know I, I just did it all and I, you know it one thing occurred is that I, I became really independent and and that was had some advantages to move forward but also cost me a little bit as well you know personal development and relationships too and, and I learned from that as well and, and I probably should have accepted more help from people that love me you know and but that's just so you know it was like I was gonna get it done this was my goal and I gotta get and this it's when I hit the back door and I think it's still this my house and I I remember I was being interviewed by Monday morning quarterback by Peter King who was a world-renowned sports reporter you know he said something like what is pressure you know is pressure in the fourth quarter last two minutes of the game it's like no pressure's hitting the door at midnight is there food clothes uh, lunch is packed for tomorrow. I mean, that's the reality as as a single parent. And that was pressure. The game was, yeah, but you know what? The important part is hitting home and those kids waking up and them just not hitting a beat, you know, missing a beat, getting their lunch, goon, they've got clothes are clean, and, and it's go time. And uh, that was the pressure, mm-hmm. trying to balance the profession of teaching and officiating, I did take, I did work part time for a few years, and and once again, the district was outstanding, and then went back full time while back. You know, I can so relate to to that, especially the part where you're saying you just did it all, right? You know, I still find myself doing. Yes. You know what? I can do it ten times. People say you can get done in one day what it takes me a week, <laughs> but you have to, right? You have to. But I love that analogy. With with pressure and and again it goes back to what one of the things that I really admire in you and that is that is your your family. Um, so what else? What is it that you want to share with us that we don't know? Well, um, I love teaching. Okay, I really do. Um, to me, I love the profession as much as I do in officiating. I love working with young adolescents. I, I teach health class. I've taught it for many years, and I teach physical education. I love the connection in PE with the sports officiating. Just today, we were playing a kickball game. And I was probably getting more slack and you know, from the from high school kids than I did from the Super Bowl that I refereed about judgment calls. And I love that interaction, but I also – the health class and you know as you know you've come and spoke to my students a couple of years ago it's you know the one in five adolescents are you know mental uh, disorders and suicides second third leading cause of teenagers and when i taught health 20 some years ago we didn't even discuss suicide amongst teenagers it was still in motor vehicle accidents is number one mm-hmm. so i still like connecting with kids about mental health and they're under so much stress. I, I know our students at Wyoming, they're great kids, and they are living adult lives. You know, they got jobs, taking care of siblings, they're doing their work. And I really love the profession, working with kids as I do officiating. So it's kept me going, although I retire soon. I think next year. Early, really? Actually, yeah. I will, uh, 
probably shortly after the first of the year, I'll, I'll retire and um, I'll miss it, but also I'm ready for yeah. it. Well, what are your retirement plans? You know, officiating still, you know, work okay. out three days a week, go to breakfast okay. and, you know, just uh, maybe grab that time back for Dino a little bit. Yeah. No, that's where I've been wanting to go the last year and a half. And um trying to uh, get that Dino time. Well, I hope that you do because you so. so, so deserve it, Dino. Thank and you. I am just so thankful that you're here. And I was so grateful that I was able to go to your class because I see that for mental health too. And I think that one thing that is my passion is changing that conversation and bringing sure. it to everyday places. And you allowed me to do that. And I'm going to keep doing that for sure. until we see change for these kids because the... Ages 10 to 34, suicide is now the second leading cause to death, 10 years old. Yeah. And the things that we don't talk about is some of the pain. You know, there's whether, right. you know, kids are living with parents that are losing jobs. Mm -hmm. They're um, being bullied. They're being isolated. All of those things, maybe you don't have a diagnosed mental health illness, but they're causing pain that is causing suicidal thoughts and suicidal actions. So, so for you to recognize that and want to talk about it in your class just is another Another thing that I, I really admire about you. Yeah, I want the the students, and, and not only students, but all. I mean, we've all the the resources, the accessibility. There is help, you know. And I think putting that in front of our students is really important, and making that aware that it's not a shame to reach out for help. And you know, as adults, we go through it. You know. Yeah. Well, I think. Well, and it reminds me of something that is is kind of on topic, but kind of off topic. And it, it was years ago, but it has to do with a ref. It has to do mm -hmm. with a ref, and the ref made a bad call. Okay, that happens. Sure does. Right. So, a question to you is: You've made a hundred perfect calls this game, and you made one that wasn't so great. Mm -hmm. Which affects you more? The one that doesn't. Right. Yeah. So, and that's the one that people remember. But I think right. that that's what we do as a society is like, you could give me 10 compliments, but if you say, oh, you know, you look like you're getting old, I'm right. going to remember that. I'm not <laughs> By gonna, the way, you're not. <laughs> but but I'm not going to remember you saying right. you look nice today. Right. And I think that, um, that the ref... That, because it's never one thing. And the reason I remember, and this was like a long time ago, before I'm even doing what I do, and it just has resonated so much with me because he's like, we all make mistakes. We all have those moments. And now I just thought of another one. I'm not going to pick on you. Because, sure, shoot. But I do want to know this. Is this the hot seat? Yeah. Well, no. this is, well, it's going to be about you making mistakes. <laughs> okay, fine. But how we're going to give you grace Truly and we're I still going to love you mistakes. for it. Okay, so when I see Dino on the football field, right. I see him at the goal post. Sure. And I see you, you know, usually standing there or, you know, your hands on your, like, or, you know, your arms going up. Yes. Like straight up in the air. But there was one video I saw of you that you weren't standing there. Okay. You were running. And it was a Packers game oh. with Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> yes. Now, I didn't get how you got there. So explain that situation. Well, I can give you all types of excuses. I pulled a <laughs> hamstring the week before. It was cold. I had 10 pounds of clothing, but I did not look very athletic. That's for sure. <laughs> I was like, that's not me. But uh, I didn't read the pass very well, and it was considered a deep pass. And uh, I got caught up in traffic, and 
And the Green Bay Packer guy used me as a screen. That's part of the game. And uh, he cut back in front of me, and I was not in good position. And the defensive back ran into me, and I got I got pushed over a little bit. You got, like, trampled on. I did. And rolled up. You were like, did you get hurt at all? I felt it the next day a little bit, but, you know, I finished. Yeah, you uh, finished. Okay, so how, how did that... And, and I don't know, what is it called? An error, a mistake, a judgment call? Yeah, you know, it, our mechanic switched a little bit that they wanted my position, what is a back judge, to stay in a little bit more. And that's the first time that's happened to me in a long, long time. And so I was more like upset, like, man, when that happen? You know, I can't let yeah. that happen. And, and then I saw I wasn't uh, like worried about something that the league would evaluate me on. It was more about not liking the mechanic that was changing and about me, I got to do better. Okay. So it was a self self-evaluation, but it was, it wasn't like I missed a pass interference call that it's played on ESPN four times and the team loses a game. Now that's a different level. Yeah. Yep. Right. So that was minor in that aspect other than I get hurt, you know? Yeah. And other than it got a lot of press. Totally. Yeah. You know, yeah. which, which is why I want to go back to just saying we all make mistakes sure. and you know, did they ever, have they ever focused on you making a great call and the right call? Like they did on that call. They do. The NFL, um, the, every game is evaluated. Every play is evaluated. You'll know if it's a correct call, no call, or nothing's listed, which is fine. And then they would give you a correct judgment or a correct mechanic. But they also can give you an incorrect mechanic, right? Would be maybe something like that you saw that if I didn't read the play rightly. Typically, when you get hit like that, they don't really hit you double like that with evaluation. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the the evaluation process in the NFL, it, it can be stressful. It really can. And um so there, there's that a boys, and there's things that are called downgrades that you don't want to see for okay. sure. Yeah. Okay. So obviously, being a, a Super Bowl official, you have made many more great calls than you did on that one. But for me, and my understanding, I wanted to see it because, like I said, I always see you in the back. Right. But then I saw you, you, you running, and um, it was fun. It was fun seeing you at the Super Bowl too. Oh, yeah, so another fun. question that just came in my mind. So not knowing much about football. Sure. You're the official that's standing there with the two players. What? What is? What? How are you chosen to be the one that's standing there? Right. I have a picture of you on my phone from yes. my screen. Do you? That I should have showed you before, so you would know what I'm talking about. Okay. But do you yeah, know what I'm talking I do. about? Okay. What is that? Well, my position, the back judge position, is dedicate bringing out the visiting captain or captains. This year is only one because of COVID. So my job is at a certain time when the referee leaves the uh, TV. Um, I have to bring them out for the coin toss, for the procedure of the coin toss. And then I have to listen to make sure that it's handled properly with heads, tails, did the referee record it properly, give them the right choices. So a little bit of administrative stuff. Okay. But it's a good time to get on TV, too. Yeah, I know, right? It was yeah, a good picture. Right. So then is that like a an earned No, privilege? it's a sign. No, a rookie a sign? could get that. They okay. wouldn't get, a rookie wouldn't get the Super Bowl, but it could be a rookie bringing out captains as well. Okay. Yeah. Well— it was so great talking to you. It was great I talking really, to you as well. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate you being here. And I think that um, you just validated the importance of family and how family gets you through. Um, and especially with all of the travel that you have to do right. and everything that is on your plate. I'm so looking forward to seeing what you do in the next year and a half with Dino time that's about 
I hope so. Ready to come? <laughs> it's you know, coming. I think that you're going to make it happen. It's definitely going to happen. I think it's going to happen. Yeah, and it's winning in life. That's what we're trying to do, right? Exactly. And we're getting to that. Well, I'm older than you, so I'm getting to that age where I need to do that myself. And maybe yeah. I can take a lesson or two from you on that. But yeah, keep winning. <sighs> but today, do you know, I think the ball bounced right sometime. And I'm the fortunate one having you here. Oh, thank you. It's been great reconnecting, and thanks for inviting me. All right, great. I think that's a wrap. Dino is in an elite group of NFL officials, and it was fun and educational finding out more about his life as an official and the amount of support his community and family gave him to pursue his dream. The conversation with Dino brought an unexpected tear or two to my eyes. His passion is deep, his beliefs are strong, and his heart will always be with his late wife, Christy. There's a beautiful moment seeing the look on his face when he talked about the strength she provided for their family. Although our loved ones may be gone, the impact they have on us lasts a lifetime. The window looking into someone else's life is never what we think it is. Even those with exciting jobs in front of 80 million people during a live Super Bowl event We all have things going on behind the smile. I'm grateful for Dino to be in the studio to warm my heart and hopefully warm yours too. For more information on the Melanoma Research Alliance, go to curemelanoma.org. Would you like to support the Paganelli family with a donation in honor of Christy? We would love for you to do so by mailing a check to Christy's Cause, Aquinas College Athletic Department, 1700 East Fulton Street, Grand Rapids, Michigan, 49506. A special shout out to Stuart Poltrock at Sound Post Studios for making us sound so good. Also, we love Big B Coffee. During our podcast sessions, thank you for allowing us to buy one, give one to start the conversation. 